guidance? How do we make decisions? How do we make really tough decisions where we're wrestling with things and we're trying to figure out? You know, we're in the middle of a sermon series called Satisfaction Guaranteed. There are some promises we have, some absolute guarantees that we have. And one of them is guaranteed guidance. Did you know that? Guaranteed guidance along the way from the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to be looking at today is uh, John chapter 16, verses 5 through 15. So uh, let's go ahead and open there. And, you know, the ushers are going to be coming forward. They've got Bibles in their hands. And uh, they'd love to get one to you. So just raise your hand if you don't have a Bible. We're going to be walking verse by verse through this, okay? So just raise your hand. The ushers will get one to you. You know, we look at the McGinnis family stepping in. What a great example of some decisions that need to be made, some guidance that's taking place, some leadership that's happening. And Lord, what do you want? As we were praying as a staff and elders, Lord, who do you want? Where should we be going with this? As he says, I will build my church. I think he has a plan. What is it? How can we work with you in that? And uh, that's what we're going to be looking at today is John chapter 16, just how to work with the Holy Spirit in this world with his plan. So first and foremost, some things we need to know about the Holy Spirit. Two things we're going to look at today. First, the Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Let's take a look at what that is and what that really means, okay? So we'll start right here in verse 5. Jesus says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now that I am going to him who sent me and none of you asks, and then he continues on. He's basically saying, I want you to understand this. While I was with you, I didn't share these things with you because I was with you. We were hanging out. We were interacting. We had some interaction that was teaching you. But let me tell you, as I'm about to go, here's some things you need to know. I am leaving and I want you to go prepared. So here we go. Let's prepare you. First, let me ask a question about your heart. He says, do you realize that none of you is asked, where are you going? Now, for those of you who actually know this passage or have been reading before it or whatever, maybe you remember from a few weeks back, There actually were two people that asked, where are you going? Peter asked, and so did Thomas. And one's at the end of chapter 13, and one's in the beginning of chapter 14. Where are you going? But Christ goes a little bit further here. He says, none of you asked, where are you going? But because I've said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. He said, here's the deal, guys. You guys are all looking at me leaving, and you're trying to figure out how it affects you. You're looking at me walking out, and you're saying wow, I'm kind of bummed about this change in life. I thought it should be a little different. I was expecting a little bit more hoopla. I was expecting another couple years of big wow factor. I'm not sure what's going on. I thought maybe you were going to be the Messiah. I thought you were going to actually fix all of our social problems. You were going to become the king. Like what's going on? And everything's becoming me oriented. And Jesus said, none of you asked, where are you going? I could imagine Peter going, wait a minute, I asked. But, but the answer is no, you asked because you wanted to go after with me. You were still asking about you, not about me. Your celebration was not in Jesus, who I believe to be Christ, the Messiah, God Almighty. What's your plan and who are you? And are you excited about where you're headed and what's the next step? And no, it was, wait a minute, can I at least go with? 
How's this affecting me? So his first step was to say, here's some things you need to know. Attitude check. It needs to be a little less about you. You're going to need to start asking the God question. What does God want here? And why does he want it? He says, because I've said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. Verse seven. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. In other words, benefit coming. For if I do not go away, here we go. Here's the benefit. The helper will not come to you. Remember, we talked about this over the last couple of weeks. The helper, the Holy Spirit, the one who is moving and shaping in our lives. God Almighty at work in the many. Jesus Christ comes in bodily form and he takes on some limitation in that regard. So he was working with those right around him physically. But the Holy Spirit, God Almighty, able to work in every single person throughout all of the universe all at one time. The helper. Welcome to the bigger plan. That's what he's saying. Can you see the advantage of what we're talking about? So he says, there's advantage. If I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I do go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he's got some jobs to do. I want you to know that I'm going away. And I want you to understand that I need you to be about the God stuff. And I need you to understand that I've got a plan in the midst of it. Are you ready to hear the plan? Here's some things you need to hear. Okay. So at this moment, the disciples are leaning in. So what's the helper got for me? Here's what he's got. He will convict. Oh, great. Another one of those dark words. So he will convict. He will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Well, what does convict mean? It means to convince of the truth. It means to help one understand that the position you're currently in needs to shift. And here's the place it needs to shift to. Convict. It means you're standing in position X, but I need you in position Y. Here's what's going on. You need to adjust your thinking and your position and your commitment to convict. The Holy Spirit brings people to a point where the next step after embracing and understanding all of it is to repent, is to fall before God Almighty with a relationship that lasts for all eternity. That's what he's saying. The Holy Spirit's job is conviction. Of a few things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. So he goes into these in a little bit of detail. Verse 9, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Let that phrase sink in for a second. Concerning sin, because they don't believe in me. Not concerning sin, because they keep on doing the wrong things. Concerning sin, because their life is made up of self-absorbed actions. Concerning sin, because... They're not believing in me. The sin that he's addressing is just like last week when we were looking and he said, hey, there's a sin that they're guilty of as I've come to them. It's the I don't believe in you sin. It's the forget you, I'll do my own thing sin. It has to do with our acceptance of who Jesus Christ is. He's saying the Holy Spirit is going to convict of that sin. You need to know who Jesus is. You need to know him. For who he is and what he is and who he stands for. What he's about in his everyday living. Come meet Jesus Christ. That's the Holy Spirit's battle cry. As he goes to convict, he's walking in to say, I want to introduce you to the one who spoke and the worlds came into existence. Colossians 1, tied with Genesis 1. 
I want to introduce you to the one who sustains and provides just by his presence. The world as we know it continues as we know it. As an engineer, I counted on those scientific facts day in and day out. What was I counting on? Well, at one level, the presence of Jesus Christ to sustain and continue things just as they were. Jesus at work in our lives as creator and sustainer and provider as the one who went to the cross for you and for me, who provided something that no one else could, who rose from the dead, who sits at his right hand right now as our advocate and who will come again as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let me introduce you to Jesus Christ. That's the Holy Spirit. And that's his work. Wow. What a message. Amen. What a message. We get to actually be a part of that. We were told last week, the Holy Spirit bears witness to who Jesus Christ is. And that's our job too. We get to come alongside in bearing witness to who he is. We need to get to know who he is personally so we can turn and bear witness to who he is to others. It's convicting of sin. It's not walking in and saying, look, loser, what are you doing that stupid act for? Knock that action off. That's not it. When we think of conviction of sin, we often think of it kind of like that. This harsh, rude statement of action being wrong. This is actually a joyous introduction to the Almighty. Do you hear the difference? This is not about I'm stepping in to say you're just doing it all wrong. With that, you walk away with the heavy weight on your shoulders and it's still your problem. But he's introducing you to the problem solver. He's introducing you to the one who can fix the problem. He's saying the biggest problem, it's unbelief. Because with belief, all the rest is fixed. We need unbelief resolved. Are you hearing it? So as we work with our friends and our neighbors, as we even think, well, what's the Holy Spirit's primary with me? It's that I might understand who the Almighty is, what he's providing, and how I can step in with him to have a relationship with him. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. Conviction of sin. Now he goes one step further. He says, to convict of righteousness. Notice he doesn't say to convict of unrighteousness. He says to convict of righteousness. So he's convincing and convicting of a positive element. Usually you convict someone of the negative element in their life, right? Well, what's he talking about? What he's really saying is this. Each of us tries to live with our own level of righteousness. We're trying to live on our own, in our own, being as good as we possibly can. And without Christ, we're thinking, that was pretty good. You know, if I were to weigh it, today was a pretty good day. Kind of, you know what I mean? And so as we walk through life without Christ, we're using our own righteousness. And he's saying, let me tell you something. It is the very righteousness of Jesus Christ that will clothe you. It is the righteousness of the Almighty that's going to clothe you. And you, when God looks at you, if you have belief in him, you will see, be seen as the one clothed with Jesus' righteousness. He simply looks at you and says, that's my boy. That's my girl. You are a part of my family. And I see you as having the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He's convicting and convincing of where the solution lies in the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now that is a promise. We actually have hope that Jesus gives us life, that he gives us righteousness, that he gives us acceptance, that he gives us purpose. And we can come alongside convicting 
of sin and righteousness. Look what it actually says about righteousness. It says, convicting of righteousness, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. He's saying, the good acts that I'm doing, the good works that I'm doing, they're going to become less obvious because I'm not going to be right here with you bodily. You're not going to be seeing me act and heal and change and shape and teach and move. You're not going to see me where I'm talking to someone and their whole life changes right before you and they're dancing and celebrating in joy. Those moments when I'm not bodily here are going to be more under question. And the Holy Spirit is going to make absolutely clear that my righteousness is still at work. That my righteousness is wholly and totally capable of at work in your life. You need it. You want it. And it's available. Sin and righteousness. He's a reminder of Jesus on earth bodily and what he accomplished. Of him as an advocate now. Of his work from eternity past to eternity future. Described simply as righteousness. Jesus' work in our life. Then he goes one step further. Concerning judgment. Because the ruler of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit is going to make clear that we sit in a given spot. We sit in a spot known and resolved. Notice it does not say concerning judgment. Because the ruler of this world will be judged. It doesn't say will be. That's future. It says is. It says that the work of judging is done. It says that the Holy Spirit will make clear that the plan is accomplished. In the courtroom, the gavel has been slammed, guilty has been declared, and we serve the risen Savior, the Almighty Savior, the victorious Savior, and Satan has been found guilty. That's where we stand. Sentencing, that's coming. We'll see it in the end times. And we end up seeing the whole thing resolved and it all finalized. But right now, gavel done, work on the cross over, guilt has been found, victory is yours, freedom is yours, life is yours, he is judged. Welcome to the message of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now that's something to get pumped about. We have life, we have victory, we have promise, we have hope, and it is guaranteed. That's life with Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's whispering that each and every moment of each and every day. What a job to whisper that hope, that joy, that passion, that purpose, to work with the hearts and souls of you and me to bring us to understand that we have victory. We have guarantee with him. That is the first part of the message. The Holy Spirit convicting the world, those who haven't met him, and found him to be the truth. He's working with them so that they can find him the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. May they find Jesus Christ that. If you're here today and you're wrestling with, I'm not sure who this Jesus is. Let me just introduce you to him. We've gone through this a couple of times in this sermon series. And I'm telling you, it is just so pointed in this passage. If you walk past it, you're missing a huge part of the message. It is simply this. Jesus Christ, he is God, he is creator, and he's taking responsibility for his creation. He, holy and righteous, he demands perfection, and yet at the same time, loving and merciful. And he wants to offer a relationship 
where perfection isn't met. He says the payment for imperfection, eternal separation from me. That's holiness and righteousness. If we just had a holy God, that's what he'd do. Separate it for life, we're done. Move on. But he's more than holy. He's loving and merciful and gracious and compassionate. And he poured out his blood for you and me. God becoming man to make a replacement payment. Something you and I could never do. Perfection paid on the cross. Could never do it. And he made the replacement payment for us. And how does it end up getting applied to us? Belief. Trusting in him with all we've got and saying, please use your shed blood on the cross to forgive my sins. I am nothing without you and I am everything with you. Please, I want to embrace the hope you bring. I believe, I believe. That's the work of the Holy Spirit to bring us to a point where we embrace that truth and believe in Jesus Christ for our shed blood or our our sins being paid with his shed blood. That's it. That's the message, the conviction. We actually have a chance, if we believe this already, to participate. So if you don't believe it, take this moment to consider believing it, to consider who this Jesus is and what you need to do to get in the line with him, to pray a moment of prayer to, to say, I know I missed it. Please use your shed blood to forgive me. I want to turn and run after you. I want you to be honored with my life. If you've already prayed that prayer, know this. He's calling you to be a witness. He's calling you to help share that message with a friend, a family member, a coworker, to be a witness for who Jesus is in your life. You know, there was a professional golfer and uh, he went out golfing one day with Jack Nicholas and Billy Graham. That's an interesting threesome, huh? So you've got these two professional golfers and Billy Graham out there golfing. And at the end of the 18 holes, this professional golfer comes storming off the course, storming off the 18th hole, past a friend. And the friend said, hey, how'd it go? Did you have a good time? And he goes, I can't stand golfing with Billy Graham. And he goes, why? And he goes, that man just shoves his religion down my throat. He goes, really? What did he say? Nothing. What do you mean he said nothing? He said nothing for the whole 18 holes. He just talked about golf and birds and nothing. He knew that it was just sitting on me. Really? (laughs) Maybe he was just enjoying a round of golf with you. Maybe. I don't know. Conviction. Do you think the Holy Spirit was powerfully there in that moment? Conviction. We simply have an opportunity to be who we are to have a relationship in this earth that sometimes you just might be talking about Pop-Tarts or whatever. I like Pop-Tarts, so Pop-Tarts. You might be talking about any weird, loose thing, but you know what? Who you are and what you stand for comes through. The Holy Spirit working. Now, other times, trust me, you are called to be very direct and very formal and very honest in your answers about who you believe, why you believe, and how you stand there. But sometimes you're just enjoying life And the joy of God in your life shows through conviction. The Holy Spirit is at work. May we work with him. May we be a part of it with him. May we enjoy and embrace being with him and watching him change this world. We've asked who over the last couple of weeks, several different times, who, who is it you could be leaning into a little bit and being honest with, praying with, talking with, 
Who is it you could just spend a little more time with? Maybe you're not even talking about those things because you feel that they're more of a green apple than a red apple. And you're just spending some time and letting them ask questions as it comes. And you're praying for them. Let the Holy Spirit convict and let yourself be used to step in, to be a tool, to bring him glory. Now that is real focus. So the first step that we need to recognize in guaranteed guidance is the Holy Spirit is convicting the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. The second part, the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. The Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. Jesus steps in in verse 12 here. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them right now. Can you imagine these moments of honesty that these disciples are having with Jesus? And he's like, I'm sorry, man. There's a lot of facts and you, it's just too much for you. We'll get to you. We're going to give it to you in a little while, in a little different way little different package. I'm not just going to lay the info on you because right now you're a little bit too much about you. We're going to shake some of that and we're going to wake you up. He's saying, hang on, more's coming. You can't bear it yet. Praise God. We're in a spot where we have the Holy Spirit with us. And as we read the word, he does communicate these facts coming. Verse 13, he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will guide you into all the truth. Wow. That's a nice promise. So God's going to be with us and he's going to be guiding us in everything. That's great. He's going to guide us into all truth. That sounds wonderful. All what truth? All every truth. So I don't have to study for chemistry anymore. What? How? What? I think we need to stay in the context here too, when he says, guide you into all truth, he is definitely talking about that related to Jesus Christ, who he is, his plan in this world and his moving in hearts. He is talking about an understanding of a deep relationship with him and how to interact with him and how to continue with him in that plan for building his kingdom for his glory. He's talking about truth related to who Jesus is and more how to run hard after him. Okay. So as we go into this guiding what would the word guiding look like? You know, guiding, it basically means to lead someone through something that they don't really understand themselves. Guiding. Picture someone out lost in the wilderness and there's someone with them who walks up and says, I know exactly where we are. Would you like me to lead you through? That would be wonderful. And he begins to, to guide and lead. Unfortunately, too many of us kind of go, guide, that'd be great. So where do I go? And then he says, well, we're going to have to go down through this stream and got it. And then we run ahead. And now we're off on our own again in the wilderness. Guiding. It's a daily interaction with him. Guiding. It's a hanging with him throughout the whole of the life experience. A guiding and a leading. Okay? So that's guiding into all truth. We're going to come back to this in just a second. But I want to move through here to get a few more uh, pieces rounded out. He says, The Holy Spirit will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. So the Holy Spirit is speaking on behalf of the Father. He's speaking the things of Jesus, which we're going to see him say again in just a second. He said, he is sharing the very things the Father wants shared. What's told to him, that's what he shares. And he's going to be speaking about things to come. Really? So he's going to actually tell me, like, tomorrow, 
how much I'm going to spend for a given meal and I'll know that ahead of time? Is that what he's going to do? He's going to be giving me little moments of prophetic future element that are, is that what he's talking about? Again, in context, he's talking about the things to come, the unrolling of the whole plan. They had not even seen the cross or understood it yet. They had not seen the resurrection or understood it yet. They had not seen the new body of Jesus Christ or understood it yet. They had not seen the ascension or understood it yet. They had not seen the unveiling of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost or understood it yet. They have seen nothing and he is coming to reveal what is to come. Can you hear it? Can you imagine what Jesus, he's like, I just wish I could tell you, you won't even get it. Just wait, you are going to be blown away with what he's going to share with you. He is going to be revealing much. The Holy Spirit revealing what's to come. I mean, how did we get the Bible? You know, we look at 2 Peter 1.20. We talks about this, this revealing, this inspiring of men to share and write down the very words of God. And we end up with the Bible itself penned from God to man, revealing the plan of God and how we can come into alignment with them. The Holy Spirit making known what is to come. Can you imagine what Christ was trying to unveil to these guys in a few words? And we get to look back with the whole of history before or behind us and see much more of the significance of these statements. He goes a little bit further. He says, not only is he revealing those things, but he says, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. So the Holy Spirit is about bringing glory to Jesus Christ. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that's the Father's is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He's saying, look, mine and the Father's, one. And as he shares the Father's or he shares mine, he's sharing ours. And he's bringing glory to me in the midst of it. Is the Holy Spirit here to bring glory to himself? He's not. Let's be very careful with that. Does it mean we should never mention the word Holy Spirit? That's not what it means. So sometimes we go too far the other way, right? Well, we're not supposed to bring glory, so we won't even mention. Like, that's a mistake. The Holy Spirit, he's an active part of our life. But we need to be very cautious. He is here to testify to who Jesus Christ is and bring glory to him. May we be about the same. Amen? That's a big deal. Amen? You might be going, I don't know. I guess amen. Like, it's a big deal. Because we can get distracted into trying to bring glory to the wrong things. We are here to bring glory to who Jesus Christ is. Show him off and bear witness to him. Scripture, that's what it says, right? The Holy Spirit's even here for that. May we stay in focus with what we're here for. Okay. And then the last piece, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said to you, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I want you to know my stuff. And you're going to know it over time. Jesus revealing, Holy Spirit revealing, us getting to know. You know, as we talk through these pieces, there's a couple of things that I want to make sure we understand. Because we could say, great, the Holy Spirit's guiding me. And then we go off on this plan. And the problem is, if we don't understand, for example, what's the will of God? How does that work? Like, I realize this is probably a five-part sermon, and we're going to do it in two minutes. But what is the will of God, and how does it work? We better understand at least a moment of it, or our expectation of guidance might be out of whack. Okay. So let me deliver just a couple thoughts to you. First of all, God gives us scripture with principles, guidelines and thoughts about how to execute things. And he allows for us to look into his word and to see very clear principles and how to follow him. And he gives us a great deal of freedom in the midst of that. 
to be executing. Now, I want to be careful. Don't hear me wrong, because some of you are going, no, I, I really believe it's every single moment God's got one specific thing for us. And I'm not saying there isn't some specific things along the way, but I am saying there's latitude too. Let me give you an example. When you woke up this morning, did you pray about wearing the plaid shirt or the blue shirt and then sit down and wait until you got a word from God? Yes or no? Okay. Some of you might have. I mean, we have to talk real about it, okay? The reality is we understand that there's, we understand that there's a line to draw and we kind of go, ah, some things God's going to really have weigh in on and other things he might allow latitude. And we still have to make some reasonable, rational decisions in that. Like, hey, I'm standing up in front of people and there's some representation and what's that, you know, the culture there for dress and we make some decisions and we're going with it. And that's okay. And God gives us some good principles and guidelines to work within there and we have latitude to work within them. And then there's other times where I'm telling you he has a specific call and moment for you. He has a specific place and moment. When you look and you see Abraham called or you look and you see um, Paul, He's going in a direction and he believes he's supposed to go somewhere, right? I'm headed this way. Oh, I'm not supposed to head that way. Door closes. Okay, I'll go this way, right? There's moments where God moves much more specifically. Was Abraham getting a message every moment of every day? Or was it years and decades between moments of hearing? It was decades. We have to be very careful. I believe that God gives us great principle to execute on. Great hope and will to execute within. And we have some freedom in doing it. And then there's moments where he says, Paul, I've got something very specific for you. And right here and right now. And then we move with that. That's, that's our call to try to understand, God, where do you want to guide me right now? Is it more of a general moment or is this a very specific call to a very specific moment right here, right now? And, and help me understand it. So just so you know, that's kind of my view of the will of God. And if you notice, I'm straddling a fence. Because some will go, it's all just general. And some will go, it's all pinpoint. And I'm going, it's both. Right? And I really think it is. I think that God works with us in very, he allows great latitude. And then there's moments where he says, I want you here. And I want you here now. Let's move. And we get a chance to grow with him and be used by him. Example. I really thought a lot about different examples. Because a lot of them can get verbose. And I got to be careful. But I'll tell you one. Uh, when we were deciding to move into senior pastorate ministry, I'd been in the adult ministries for a number of years and was excited about becoming a senior pastor. Uh, many of you don't know this, probably most of you don't know this, but you know, we, we were actually offered a, a senior pastorate somewhere else. And we had to talk through that and reason through that. And I'm telling you, without going into details, as I looked at the community and the people and the church and the style and the structure and some of the needs, it wasn't a match for us. They needed a pastor with a different type of gifting and a different structure of approaching people. They needed a pastor who had a certain element of speaking hard to a will and just using that high influence at certain levels in certain ways. And it was a different type than who I am. And then there were other needs going on in that community that we knew about. And there were other ways of praying for them. And I went back and I said, guys, this is not who I am. The size of the church, the structure of the church, the style of the church, the needs of the church. It, it isn't. And, and so I feel like I need to step away from it, but we're praying. So we prayed for God to give us some clarity on what to do. And here's basically what we came down to. In the next two to three days, I needed to have five classes done for school. Five. That's a lot, okay? So we're like, I got to get all this done before I take it. That's a big deal. And then the second thing was, but they're all lining up. I could do it in two months, the way it was lining up. 
And then Moody decided to rearrange their entire calendar, which they did a lot. But they decided to do it again, and they rearranged their whole calendar, and it took me a year now to be able to get those classes done instead of two months. Very simple things that in a very crucial moment instantly shut it all off. Circumstances that made things clear. And you know what? We kept praying, God, I don't know where, I don't know what, I don't know when. You just lead and guide us. And then we find out about a community that engineering is kind of a source and center with Caterpillar, and that's 17 years of my background. Farming and hunting, and that's a huge part of my background, and a passion for learning and growing, and that's a huge part of what I am with a passion for discipleship. And we knew people down. I mean, there's such a match and a passion for this place, and wow, did things light up. God at work, moving, shaping, and leading us. Let him move. Let him work. Let him shape. Well, how do I do that? Let me just give you five things to watch for. Five things. How do I let him lead? This is really important, okay? Number one, abide with him. We talked about this a couple weeks back. Have a regular, constant relationship with him. Hear from him. Spend time in his word, wrestling with the truth you're finding in his word. Spend time quietly before him, practicing the presence of God, raising up your hand and simply saying, I just want to be with you. Abide with him. Because as you have a relationship with him and draw life from him, that is how he can speak to you. Abide. That's number one. Number two, ensure that the thoughts and feelings you have align with scripture. Okay, I'm thinking I should be going this way. We're robbing the bank tomorrow. Let's check scripture and just make sure. Oh, right? Like whatever our plan is, let's look into it. Some things are obvious. Rob a bank. Come on. Everybody knows that. Well, take a senior pastorate. Well, that doesn't sound ungodly necessarily, does it? So how do we know? Some things sound really good in and of themselves. And scripturally, we look at them and they might even look good. So first, ensure with scripture that it aligns well. Okay? Third. So we're abiding. Now we're ensuring it aligns with scripture. Now, ensure that the plans align with circumstances, past and future. I'm telling you, this is massive. This is the big one, and this is where most people stop. Make sure that how God has built into your life over your prior experiences, the gifts he's given you, the passions he's given you, the experiences he's given you, the abilities, the freedoms, the money, whatever it might be that he's freed you up to be able to do and be, make sure that those past experiences and circumstances are leading forward to something else. Rarely does God build into your life in a direction simply to tear the whole thing down and send it another way. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, like, what are you doing next week? I'm dropping everything and I'm going to go be an artist in Paris. I'm just going to sit on the streets and paint. I didn't know you were an artist. Do you paint? No. What about your family? I have no idea. How are you going to make money? I don't know. Is this God's plan? No. Maybe after a few art lessons and a little bit more clarity on some income and like step with him, it might be that you end up there, but not first step, right? It's not making sense with where God's got you right now and what he's built into you. Let him build in circumstantially from past and future stuff. Future stuff, for example, like I was saying with me and the senior pastor and the whole, all the classes collapse and circumstances closed door, okay? So let the circumstances speak to you as well as God's guiding. So abide with him, ensure that it aligns with scripture, ensure that the circumstances are leading that way. Number four, pray mightily. Pray and pray and pray for closed doors and open doors. I've told you before, I love closed doors. There is nothing more clear than a door in the face. 
Do you know what I'm saying? Like I'm headed this way, God, bam. I guess I'm not. You know, I have no choice. It's closed. So I guess I'm now trying to head this way or this way. Which, what, what would you like now, Lord? And he clears back the mist and shows us a step. And then the fifth is just step out mightily. If you feel and you sense after abiding with him and checking with scripture and aligning it with your circumstances and praying mightily and you find an open door, step out into that opportunity and go after it. Now, for those of us who are in families, do hear me on this. If you are feeling that call, but your family is not, hang on. Either God's working with them or he's working with you. Somebody needs to come up to speed. And so we need to be really careful. I would always say, be cautious to walk as a family together. Don't, don't hear me wrong. If you absolutely fear some, feel something that is strongly pulling you and you need to take a step, you might need to lead into that a bit. But I'm telling you, you need to walk together through this. So this is about families coming together as well. Husbands and wives sitting down together and praying through these things and looking for open doors and closed doors. Okay? That's how he, lets, that's how he leads and guides with us. Get it? So it's abiding, ensuring, both scripturally and circumstantially, praying mightily for closed doors and open doors, and then stepping out boldly. And let God's freedom of his principles in your life, of scripture principles, give you a latitude to move. And then when you sense a specific call to a specific moment, by all means, go there. That's the best way I can say it. God leading and guiding into all the truth. He is passionate about a plan to build his church and to build into you. You're making some decisions. What are they? What are the big decisions in your life right now? It's time to take the five steps and apply them. If you haven't started with abiding, you got to go there first. It's got to happen. It's time to get a relationship going with him. How are you doing on the other other four elements? It's time to step in with those five steps and let God lead you. There is no more satisfying, no more joyous, no more content moment than to say, I have been in a walk with my God and he has led me to right where he wants me. And I am passionate about serving him right here because I sense that this is exactly the moment and exactly the alignment where he wants me to be. And I'm taking those steps out. I'm thrilled to be here. To God be the glory. And let's lift his name up. Are you ready to go for a walk with him? Are you ready to go on a journey? He's going to blow your doors off. I'm telling you, all too often we go, will of God, here's how you do it. What do I want to do? And we're done. Unfortunately, that's how we do it, right? But what we really need to do is stop just gut checking our own feelings. Start abiding with him. Start reading scripture. Start aligning circumstances. Looking around for opportunities. Praying for closed and open doors. And then step boldly. Welcome to being led by God. Let's pray.